Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now, before we get started, I wanted to A, um, say that something, something important, so, something weirdly important and something that will mark me as like a, probably an old taku and if you ask any old taku, they'll probably know what I'm talking about. Um, Shinzo Abe was assassinated, I think. Last week? I think like last Friday. And it's it stuck out in my head because Shinzo Abe is A, the, if you don't know, which the, the reason you don't know because he's not serving anymore. He's a former he's a former prime minister of Japan, but he was the longest serving prime minister of Japan until he stepped down, I think in 2019. I think in 2020. And he was shot and killed. And... It, It prompted me to think about some stuff um, for the next upcoming Sunday show, which will be this Sunday, so look out for that. Um, I just need to sit and put it together because it, it's it's an important... Just to give you an idea, it not only was Shinzo Abe the like longest-serving Prime Minister of Japan, but he was also the Prime Minister of Japan... At the height of like the anime bubble, which means that like he had this weird place in nerd history also. Um, not and like any politician, he he's not all warm and and fuzzies and there's like stuff about Shinzo Abe that is not great. And you can certainly go find articles about Shinzo Abe being declared as like and I've seen them. Um, being declared as being like Trump, but he got away with it. Um, he was a huge proponent of remilitarizing Japan, which, like, lots of people in Japan don't want to do because they do, they've grown up in a really peaceful country and they don't want to fuck that up, and I get that. Um, but we also know things like Shinzo Abe's favorite anime was Robin Maiden because he was, like, he was a world leader for a country whose cultural touchstone was anime. And he he saw the, the advantage to using that cultural ex- export to, like, make Japan more of a tourist hub and all this other stuff. But, on that note, it actually brought me to another weird moment and that is that a that the creator behind the thing we're going to talk about um this week was running in the same a part of the same party the i believe it's the liberal democratic party in japan for a um for i think as for a for like a national elected seat and that particular individual ran on a platform of freedom of expression, which is really interesting. It's a really interesting thing for a a manga a very well known mangaka to run on. And if you've seen the if you've seen a news blast from Otaku USA, you know who I'm talking about. If you haven't and you read the title of this uh, prepare to have your mind blown, I guess. Um but he he ran on a platform of self-expression, which is really interesting because of the genre of manga he is most known for. And that creator is, um, is Ken Akamatsu. And the thing we're going to be talking about today is a little show and a little manga that is 14 volumes long called Love Hina. Get a soul, I'm a 
thing about love hina before we jump into it i want to um start with the kind of context around love hina and then i want to like tell you a little bit story about my journey through anime and manga that i think you will probably you will at least a little identify with hopefully and shows you part of where I come, where I come from as an anime fan and all that stuff, but also shows you the perception of anime when I was when I was initially coming up, and also all that stuff. But the the deal with Ken Akamatsu is he really he kind of crystallized in a way the way harems function. He crystallized the archetypes of different harem characters. He crystallized, like, the living together with all of them. Like, a combination of Love Hina and and other Kanakamatsu works and things like Tenchi really are responsible for what the the modern um traditional harem show looks like like one guy bunch of girls they all they all want at him in some way so i'm gonna go through like just a base i'm gonna go through a baseline of what love hina is here i'm not gonna really go plot by plot because i didn't i didn't watch i didn't rewatch the anime because the anime is very 90s and not always very good and also it when it came out it was when the anime for love hina came out it was as any anime adaptation is at the peak of love hina's success and it was also very early like dubbed in the 90s and took on a kind of like weird life of its own and that's with a 14 volume manga that supported it that that supported it and what that means is that, like, there's a lot of filler, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't matter, but it all kind of matters, but the base story is essentially this. You're following a character named, um, named, um, Kitaro Urashima, who is a, who is a hopeful for a school called, um, Tokyo, called the University of Tokyo, which is a real school. Um, it's also... The school that, um, 
the main character of Golden Boy, I forget his name, um, um, Kentaro, um, actually, um, from Golden Boy, also, he graduated from, um, he completed all the requirements to graduate the Tokyo University Law School, but then didn't. And Tokyo University is, like, I think still known as, like, a very, a very good school in Tokyo to attend, a very good college to go to. Um, and he, he hopes that he's going to get into Tokyo University because he promised, um, a childhood friend that they'd get, get into Tokyo University and then they'd be, you know, a happy couple. And they have this, the, the story itself essentially said that, like, this is what people believe. Like, in, in the Love Hina universe this is what he this is what people believe and that childhood that childhood love that childhood like friend character love interest is the character of Neru Nerusauga and Neru is kind of the typical has feelings for the main character but isn't processing them well and mostly processes them through a combination of violent outbursts and, like, abuse. And probably for me, the most interesting part of Le of Love, Hina is about, in, like, the last third of that show, of, of this, of Love, of the Love, Hina story, the show does a big flip, and instead of making the, like, abused down-on-his-luck character be Kitaro, who is, um... who is that for literally the entire series. Like, without a doubt. He is slapped, kicked, almost killed, like, punked against rocks. It, the kind of, like, slapstick anime abuse you expect from, like, a late 90s, early aughts um, romantic comedy harem show. Like, th this... This show, this show, and this property did that kind of specialized in that for a long time. But then in the manga, it's the last, it's like third of the manga. I think it might be even the last, like, volume. I think it might even be volume fourteen. But in the anime, what they do is they section that part off, and it's a. It's its own special four-episode OVA called Love Hina Again. If you go look up Love Hina on, um, what's it called? On Crunchyroll, you don't get Love Hina. You get Love Hina Again, which is the, like, last part of Love Hina, of the Love Hina story. And it, what it does is really, that's really interesting is it takes all of that time you spent with, like, Naru kicking the shit out of Kintaro, Kitaro. Like, and when I say kicking the shit out of Kitaro, I mean, like, punching him so hard he flies into the next town. Like, um, there's a character, Matoko, who straight up, like, tries to murder him with a katana. Constantly. Um, there is, there are, like, characters like Kisune, who are just drunk assholes. Um, they're, um, um, Mitsune, who is, like, a fox drunk archetype of a character there is a point at which they have a character named um Kola Su or Su Kola who's supposed to be Indian but you're never quite sure and she just kind of shows up with weaponry like at some point in the um Love Hina again OVAs <coughs> she straight up has a laser cannon, like a laser cannon taken off of the back of a giant mecha laser cannon. At some point, she has a giant mecha in the story proper. And so, like, this abuse happens constantly to Kitaro. And he, like, just kind of deals with it constantly, is the best way I can put it. He... He's like he's not happy about it. He wishes that like it would all die down, but he eventually adjusts to it. And if you look at other 
Um, if you look at other harem anime that came since, take something like the original Suzuka. Um, they also do this. They have this, and Suzuka is really even like a, almost like a, um, it's like a more serious expression of love, Hina. Um, and don't get me wrong, I love the, um, mangaka who made Suzuka and Suzuka and Suzuka and later, um, the, and, and later the, the follow-up manga to that, Fuka, are like, they're really great expressions of what those kinds of romantic comedies can be, and they explore the kind of consequences of that kind of, like, teenage lust in a way that many, that many, 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 um, romance manga, harem manga, just don't. Like, the, to give you an idea, like, um, technically, technically, by the end of, um, Love Hina, Naru admits that she loves Kitaro, but there is never, like, a real conclusion to, like, you see them together, necessarily. Like, you see them together, but it's more of a continuation of what was, but with the idea of, like, love as the undergirding and not, like, romantic, weird mumblings and misunderstandings. And so, function like, emotionally, it feels slightly different, but functionally it is the same. Whereas something like, um, Suzuka, which had the 2020 hindsight of having, like, a template of sorts in something like Love Hina, takes that form and says, no, but what if they admitted to loving each other and, like, went all the way and, like, you know, slept together and the female lead got pregnant what does that look like? Like, what does that story... Like, what does that story progression look like for those characters? And then they play that through. And that's where you get the manga for Fuka. The anime for Fuka could not commit to the truck-coon thing. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go, um... Go look that up on the internet. You'll be, like, stunned at the idea that, like... Everybody was talking about trucks. And, like, the, the Fuka anime adaptation straight up baits you with, with, like, giant box trucks constantly in that show. And they did nothing with them. And it's, like, the... So the long and short of it is, spoiler alert for um, Suzuka and Fuka, is eventually um, ya Yamada, the main character and I'll get back to um I'll get back to Love Hina in a second I just want to show you I just want to kind of demonstrate the kind of like pullback from the Love Hina um aesthetic of violence that happened later on in things that were clearly inspired by Love Hina um by the end of Suzuka um Yamato and Suzuka the main girl in that show are married and like Suzuka has had the kid that they that they created together and Yamato has taken like a has like chosen not to go to college on a scholarship on a running scholarship because he needed to drop out and start working to support his new family and it's a really it's a really reflective of what of what life makes people do when people and the consequences of actions as a kid can be and it's really it's thoughtful in that way and then Suzuka later on you meet after after you you meet Fuka for the first time in the end of that manga and then in the Fuka manga it is about the life of Fuka the like product of the, the product of the love formed in Suzuka. And eventually Fuka dies on her way to, like, be in a concert because it becomes ostensibly a, a um, music manga also. And she gets she dies when she gets hit by a truck. And the, like, flight of fancy that this show, that, that that particular thing has is 
the main character of that sh- of that manga meets another girl named Fuka and falls in love with her at the same time as grieving his dead girlfriend who was the daughter of the original couple and it has this really realistic feel to the consequences and the awareness of its ma- of its characters in a way that Ken Akamatsu's stuff just doesn't because that's not really what he's trying to do. I, and this is the thing that like everybody that like every character has every person looking from the outside misses the point of with something like Love Hina. The point of Love Hina is not the titillation. The titillation is barely there. Like if you're really reading it it's, even if you're attempting to not really read it, Love Hina doesn't have much that is like pornographic or even etchy in any way. It most it has like, and even in those moments, it has it makes those linked to certain characters and like certain characters who they have to build up to be that way. And when I was so, let's pivot back to Love Hina, and I'll tell you my relationship with this manga, with, with, with this property. When I was in middle school, and this is like in the late 90s, when Love Hina was originally coming out, uh, when, Love, when the Love Hina anime was about to come out, but the manga was already all released. I borrowed volume by volume all of Love Hina, like one at a time, and I like traded manga volumes back and forth to be able to read this whole thing from a friend of mine, um, culminating in one of the most hilarious um, things that I've had happen to me in my anime fandom journey, and that is I was borrowing them from this girl in um, middle school. And her sister was also a big fan of anime. And I had, in my hot little hands, both volume, both original volumes of FLCL. When, when before they just combined it into one book, the way they combined it, everything into one disc and sold it that way. And I lent, the, I, I think I, I lent the first volume of Love Hina for the 13th volume of... The first volume of FLCL for the 13th volume of Love Hina. And I lent the second volume for the 14th. I didn't see the second volume. I didn't see those books back for like months. Because my friend's older sister, who I would later meet and be like better friends with than her little sister, um... Just like, was like, oh, your friend Alex has taste. I'm taking these. He, he'll get them back when I'm done. And I'm like, okay, I guess I don't really have any control over that. Whatever. And, but also, I got in trouble when I and I mentioned this when I posted about Ken Akamatsu, um, being su- successfully getting elected to I think Parliament, um, um, on Instagram. I got in such trouble for reading Love Hina in study hall in middle school because the teacher just saw, like, weird comic book with boobs in it. And she said, she's like, you better stop reading that or I'll, or you're going, or you're going to the principal's office and you're getting detention. And so like, I had to, like, and also, at some point, I was, um, there was an attempt at grounding me, and that meant no more manga, and I kept sneak trading manga. It was a whole thing. Um, I was very dedicated to being a huge nerd. Um, still am, clearly. That's why I talk about anime on the internet. But the, I, I have a really, like, communal experience of reading this story, and that's part of the reason why I want to talk about it 
And the other part of the reason is because A, Ken, Ken Akamatsu was just elected on a platform that makes a lot of sense for him because whether it be with Love Hina, this show, um, UQ Holder, which is a another, which is a later show that he made, or Negima, which is kind of like the the progression here goes Love Hina, Negima, UQ, UQ Holder as like the like progression of which mangas were made. And each one takes different like strides and steps. Probably the worst in that bunch is Negima just because it had the most like just drag in the middle. But the um but Love Hina is all of its like sauciness really past the first episode really requires that you have like have an understanding of the characters and like it re- it it asks you like hey we know Mitsume Mits- Mitsune is a saucy drunk but like we need to we're gonna ask you to care about her for like the next couple episodes and or this chapter or whatever um we're gonna introduce um um Mitsume who is confusingly close to Mitsune, who is another childhood friend character. And they introduce all these little things. And I, so I didn't rewatch the show for um, the purposes of this, because I didn't really feel like I needed to. Because I just kind of like dove into an, to the first episode of um, Love Hina again, which I've also seen at least once. But I was really stunned at the fact that like, I knew all the shit, like all the shit that was like traditional, that is Love Hina shit, was just in my head. And here's where I want to talk about something that I find, another thing I find really interesting about Love Hina, other than the like Love Hina again turn of like, but what if Naruto was, what if Nehru was just constantly fucked with for this entire OVA? Um which is really cathartic and, like, shows this understanding of, like... A, a, it shows an understanding of what Ken Akamatsu was doing to his main character, and B, it shows this, like, understanding of, like... You would never accept the, like, blatant abuse of a character like Nehru, like Nehru just put out there in the world. But you would accept it if you spent an entire 26-episode season watching her kick the shit out of the guy she likes. Because she can't, she like can't deal with her own feelings. And that's, that's something that like lots of these shows still don't deal with. They don't deal with the idea that they, or they very rarely and very clumsily deal with the idea that like these characters are just being abusive to, to like their love interest because that's a trope in ant. That's like a tsundere trope. That's the tsundere trope in anime. But like there are very little comeuppance for those characters, largely in the show. And by the end of by the end of the original like section of Love Hina, not the Love Hina again part, but the end the original section of Love Hina, they start to slowly turn the tables on Na- on Nehru's character because they start to, like, put her in scenarios where she has to admit her feeling, where she has to, like, confront those to herself and out loud to others. And then that's kind of the jumping-off point for, oh, fuck. I, for, oh, fuck, this girl has been kind of an asshole to this guy who's... and. This is really important. Something that not every show gets right. So, okay, I'm going to talk about Gossip Girl for a second here. And I'll, 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 you'll see why in a second. But in Gossip Girl, when you, if you watched it as like a teenager, or if, you, or if you watched it as a teenager, it's like a fun rom-com drama with lots of twists and turns. Like you really, the like most attractive part of the show is Chuck and Blair 
But you watch it again as an adult, and the main coupling of Serena and Dan takes on this weird new thing. Because you start to understand that Serena is the problem here. Like, yes, Dan is revealed to be a little freak, um, but you start to understand that, like, this guy gave literally his all of what he knew how to do to put himself in a scenario to date this girl who's just a kind of a piece of shit to everybody. And they give you the framework to understand why she's a piece of shit. But like she like Serena is the villain of that show. If you're watching it and you're like in your thirties as someone who did that with part of his pandemic because he was insane. Um also I was ramping up to the new gossip girl which is its own nightmare, but whatever. Um, but the... So the thing, the thing that Ken Akamatsu did with the first two-thirds of Love Hina, of the Love Hina story, is he demonstrates this character who is ostensibly doing everything he can to, like, get into Tokyo University, to... Like, fulfill a promise to a childhood friend. Who then... Who, like, he then... Um... Confronted with. And he does everything he can to impress her. And all that other stuff. And the show does a good job of... Making the... While making the will-they-won't-they they, as painful as you can expect for a... Harem show from, from a harem comedy from the 90s. Um, from hair comedy anime from the 90s, it's not, it's not overly painful. Like, you, you can make it, th if you haven't seen Love Hina, you will get through it. Like, it, it, it's got enough unrelated comedy to that, to, like, that core thing, that it will be okay. But then what it does is it says, okay, you've watched this girl fuck with this guy's emotions for much of the for, for this entire show and now we're going to have the a, just a brief section of this girl paying the piper so to speak for her like emotional abuse emotional and physical abuse of this character who she at that point has said she loves and who says he loves her and we're going to see what that looks like and the other thing that really interesting about um, Love Hina is that it is it has this great like foreshadowing system in the idea of um, a character named Seto who is this role model character to Nehru, but also this role model and like cr hard crush of a character for Nehru, and also this kind of roadmap to what Kentaro's life could look like. And he's this world, he's like this goofy world traveling scientist and all this other stuff, and introduced character who's his daughter, who I forget her name, she's not listed immediately on the character list. And then there's this character of um, Haruka, who's um, Kitaro's aunt, who is very clearly the romantic pairing for Seto. And in their... In their coupling, in their, like, pretty stable, but still fairly comedic um, relationship you see a reflection of what um, Seto, of what that could look like. And actually, I think Seto is actually not, they're not even romantically involved. They're just friends. They're like old college buddies. But you see this, like, you see this future for, Kit for Kitaro. And as soon as you see that, it becomes, his, his character journey becomes less about watching him fall for Naru all the time, but more about him, fall, like, falling for, for Naru and also 
like guiding a path for himself towards what it seems like he wants. And the last part of um, Love Hina is all about him like it, it, A, it is one of the times when he suffers the consequences of Nehru's direct abuse. Just direct. Like she punches him into the top of a building. And then he falls off that building and he breaks his leg. So he can't so even though he has gotten into he has they both achieved their dream. They've gotten into Tokyo University together as a couple. And then she flies off the handle and injures him. So he can't attend the first semester. He won't he won't be able to make the first semester. And as a result, he stops and he thinks and he turns inward and he thinks and he says, Hey, I won't be able to make the first semester anyway, so I'm going to take this opportunity to go do kind of like a worldwide archaeology tour with my, with essentially my mentor, Seto. And that kind of springs into action this like, these real difficult emotional feelings for Nehru that then she had to deal with and the show also creates a scenario in which Kentaro's like weird sister is involved um and like all the abuse is focused in on Nehru instead of on Kitaro who is gone for at least the first episode of it and I think a fair amount of that show of, of the of Love Hina again and hey it it does something that isn't always easy to do successfully, it removes the main character of Love Hina and refocuses that that lens on the female lead and becomes about her, like, processing the whole thing. Pro processing her feelings. And it fo refocuses all of the elements on her, which is a really interesting thing to be able to do and a thing that many shows of the time couldn't do because they weren't at the kind of like height of their popularity in a way that Love Hina became Love Hina became a staple Love Hina Love Hina very often still is considered a staple partially because the dub is goofy as shit but also because it's just kind of fun and it's a great encapsulation of what a harem anime is of what a harem comedy anime is and with the kind of like last emotional arc of the show it completes it and it says okay we've had enough of this goofball Kitaro it's about time we got his act together get him out of the frame we're going to focus on the female lead of this show and we're going to deal with all of her emotional immaturity. But, and this is really important. And I think if I had to guess, I would guess that this is why um, Ken Akamatsu ran on um, a platform of freedom of self-expression. Because they're the... They have pretty, pretty strict obscenity laws in Japan. That's that's why if you've ever seen Japanese porn or hentai, um, it's always censored. It's because of all the of all the different obscenity laws they have. But one of the ways they use it as a cudgel is the or the main way they use it as a cudgel is if you are expressing some uh, a thought like love hina, like a thought process like love hina, you can be kind of as explicit as you want as long as you don't show the part. That's why there's like smoke and spaghetti and like all this shit. That, that's why, that's how you get the toothpick joke in Ava. It's like a, that's a distillation of like that hilarious bullshit. But if you are expressing say a non-straight depiction of that stuff you have to be much more careful. Because they will take they will take your 
um, they will take your work and they will like label it with a bunch of different things and deem it obscene because they are discriminating against the queer community there and the representation of queer people and that had become that had become more than a little bit of a problem that's why when you see things that feel like they are queer baiting it's less that they're queer baiting it's more that the author probably wanted to write a legitimately queer character but also wanted that those characters and that representation to reach the widest audience possible so they have to do it entirely subtextually and they have to make sure that it's just murky enough where the government doesn't look at that look at it and say this character is a lesbian this show just got bumped up in age rating in age rating and you can argue that, like, why are creatives worried about that, all that stuff, but the long and short of it is, is like, cre creators have to be successful in order to keep creating. And if they make all these things and then they get, like, hit with higher age ratings, therefore reaching less people and also not the audience that the story was designed to reach, then they then their career suffers for that. So it's a weird dance. And there's a, um, there's a bunch of videos you can find uh, like that talk about specifically this from some really great um, fem female YouTube um, anime, anime essayists. Um, so I encourage you to go seek those out. But the... The reason why... Ken and the reason why Ken Akamatsu probably ran on this thing is because he wrote this manga where he spent the first like the 75 percent of this manga he spends focusing on tr traditionally focusing on the ma like a very male gazy harem fantasy comedy romance and then the last 25, the last quarter up, the last 25% of it, he focuses on this kind of inward emotional discovery for the main female character. And he, and he spends the time of, like, building her up as this asshole so he can, as having this, like, asshole tsundere temperament in a way that's very clearly different than, like, the, I don't like, like, I'm not saying I like you or anything, Baka. Like, she is, like, so many of the female character reactions to the, not just the male character, but not just the male main character, not just Kitara, but any male character, it's just, you know, shoot first, ask questions later. Like, Punch first, ask questions later. Like, stratospheric launch punch, and then, oh, it wasn't his fault? I won't apologize. And so, what this show does is, and it's mainly done with what the end of the show does, and it's mainly done with Naru, it's not done with, but it's also done with all the other characters, it essentially takes them to task for being giant jerks. To a guy that they now all are like regretting isn't there. And as soon as he's not there, the world's like, oh, your punching bag is finally gone. Okay, we can turn the cannons on them now. We we can we can turn this shit around and deal with it. And that doesn't necessarily make the first part of this show better. Or the first part of the story better. But it's an interesting heel turn for the whole concept of the thing. And it, it it shows that um Ken Akamasu understood what he was doing the entire time. Understood that he was, you know he was showing abuse basically. And in and in every single one of his uh 
in Negima, that gets made more clear. Like, that abuse gets made... Like, that, like, come up and for abuse gets made more clear. And there's less... There's less so much, like, abuse of the main character and more, like, attempted abuse of the main character that then leads to, like, inter... Like, girl-on-girl fighting in a way that's very different from, um... Something like, um... Love Hina, like... Love Hina is, like, all... It's, like, everybody against Kitaro. And in, um, Negima, it's more, like... Everybody wants to use... I forget the main character. But everybody wants to use the main character for his... For his baby juices. And they constantly butt heads against each other. And he, like, gets caught in the middle. If that makes any sense. And in UQ Hall, there's, like, a yet yet again, like, a different take on it. And it's, UQ Holder is more of a superhero thing than a harem thing, from what I remember. And I think, if I had to guess, I would say that um, Ken Akamatsu sees what he did with something like Love Hina... Or something like, um, or something like, um, Negima. Not necessarily UQ holder, although probably a little. And he sees the success that he was allowed to enjoy because he was making essentially a straight variant of a romantic comedy. And then, but he looks at something like, um, he looks at something like Madoka Magica. Which is a really, which is kind of like the good version of Spec Ops The Line, of, of, of Spec Ops Asuka rather, not Spec Ops The Line, of Spec Ops Asuka, in that it's exploring what the trauma could be, asso- to be associated with being a magical girl, and he sees characters in that show who are very clearly coded as being queer, but because they can't be very explicit about it. There's an, there's an out there that shouldn't have to be there. And that is... And the reason why that exists is because of the obscenity laws. And not just because of the obscenity laws, but because of the way people in power are using the obscenity, the obscenity laws. And... Creative people have a really vivid imagination at, at all times we can't help it it's the way we're built but one of the disadvantages to our vivid imagination we that imagination can be applied towards anything so it's really easy to see the road for many creative people from okay they're outlawing things about minorities to they're outlawing anything that could have a that they believe could have a, a inverse effect on some goal they have. So if it's easy to if it's easy to abuse creators of like queer content in anime and manga, then how long until somebody says somebody in Japan says the birth rate is really low. We need to get the birth rate up. We need to we need to up the age limit on all of this eshi manga that all of these guys are reading instead of talking to real women. And I know that sounds like Alex, that's insane. But yo, yo. So there's a couple kinds of like state sponsored things that happen in anime manga. There's a couple kinds of like manga and anime that come around every so often. You can see this in a, like, non-harmful kind of, like, self-promotion kind of way with things like Shirobako or the last episode of Golden Boy or Otaku no Video. And that is... We're trying to promote this, like, animation... Animation as a profession to the people who like animation and maybe they'll become animators. There's another side to that. 
And that is, uh, I forget the, like, there was a really egregious one a couple, se- like, a couple years ago that was, like, I think it was called Inception. And it was straight up about, like, you need to go out and you need to fuck a bunch of ladies and you need to have a bunch of kids. Why? Because we have a population pro- problem in this year country where we have a massive silver tsunami happening and you motherfuckers aren't banging hard enough. You aren't pumping out kids fast enough. So we are. So somebody gets in their head of like, hey, I should make something that promotes the idea that you should go out, you should go, you know, have sex with a lady. And like, is there anything wrong with public service announcements? No. But is there something wrong if you're like telling a bunch of disaffected, very frustrated people who have chosen to check out of a scenario in which it is like punishing to date another person because just because of what they like. And uh, take this with a grain of salt. Take this with a massive. Take this with a big rock salt lamp, actually. But I am a biracial, disabled, brain cancer survivor who has a deep love for some real nerdy technical bullshit. That's not going to be everybody's thing. This uh, and I. I'm someone who thinks it's somebody out there for everybody. But when you heap a whole bunch of societal pressure onto that, and you mix it with a lot of expectations in a lot of people's heads about what's right, what's wrong, then it that's part of what makes dating so difficult. And I can totally see why not even a guy or, like, a guy or a girl would just not. Would just be like... Ah, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to watch some cartoons, I'm going to, like, embrace the serotonin for a couple minutes and be fine. And, like, not go out to dinner with, like, a guy who, you know, could put me in danger, could be a jerk, could just be boring. And, yes, everybody had to meet each other in the middle, but... There's a lot of misogyny... In Japanese culture. And there's a lot of... And that has given rise to... A lot of unique things. As it has in America too. I want to be clear. There's a lot of misogyny in American culture. And that has... And American culture has given rise... American misogyny has given rise... To a lot of things. And let's say... Your guy doesn't have a very good job. Like, you have an okay job. You like have a roof over your head and you're like, you're doing it. But it's not a great job. You're not an investment banker. You're not like, you're not making, you're not pulling down six figures. There are a lot of women who like that. That's a big box check for them. And if you just hit the wrong stride for long enough and you go on 10, 20 dates with women who ch- like they got dollar signs in their eyes and you don't got them dollars maybe you check out for a year maybe you just fucking you know get a hug pillow and like hug it when you sleep and eventually that becomes nice and safe and warm and Kenakamatsu sees probably sees that rightfully as being like there's something fucked up here and he does a really excellent job in Love Hina of examining of of using like the form to be like hey no wonder the guy doesn't necessarily want to stay here if you spend you know half half your time like three quarters of your time just being an asshole to him. And he is legitimately doing his best that he can figure out how and you're still a jerk. 
And I, I just find that to be a really interesting thing. I just find the fact that, like, he ran on... Most people who run for office do it, not necessarily because they're bred to do it, but because they think something should change. And, you know, there's a lot of opinions about what should be and shouldn't be in society. And Ken Akamasu clearly saw that and said, this, is, this isn't right. Like, we should, like, there should be more freedom to be who you want to be. And you shouldn't feel like a girl is going to abuse you because you're being you. Or a guy is going to abuse you because you're expressing yourself in some way, shape, or form. And I'm not saying that Love Hina is about that, but I can certainly understand how somebody who created that gets to the platform he ran on. And on that note, um, if you like this podcast, new episodes come out every third day and every other Sunday. Um, I'm, like I said, I'm working on something around really around the idea of violence for the next Sunday edition, which is going to be coming out this following Sunday. So look forward to that. If you're not subscribed, you can subscribe to this podcast in whatever app you're using to listen to me right now. Um, and definitely check out the last episode in the feed, which was um, my episode on the first core of SpyX Family. Um, but until next time... I have been Alex, this has been Lunchbox Radio, and I will talk to you on Sunday. Bye.